Hello and welcome to episode 243 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Surfacing... Dang it. <laughs> Surfacing... Sorry. Take three. Surfacing mentalist absorbs revealing tape stash. Ooh. Ooh. Very good. Thank you. I am Rudiger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and you are... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster. Correct. Yes. So we actually have some news this week. Uh, one of which you're aware of, two of which you are not. So they announced who our new Batwoman is going to be. So yeah. I'm going to take a stab at her name. Uh, Javisha? Javisha Leslie? Mm-hmm. Um, J-A-V-I-C-I-A. I assume it's Javisha, not Javicia or something like yeah. that. Javisha, Javisha Leslie, it's hard to say, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, she is African-American. She is uh, self, uh, self-professed self bisexual. So they went with a queer actress and not, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, so people, I, I don't know her for, from anything. Apparently she has done some TV work before. So, so yeah. hopefully we won't get another Ruby Rose style flame out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know her from anything. So, yeah. And she, I, you know, she, yep. l- you look at her and you're like, yeah, okay, I, I yeah. can buy it. But I mean, I don't, it's not like it's a name that I recognize or whatever. So the proof will be in the pudding. Yep. Um, but it's, it's cool to have another lead of color. Yep. You know? Yeah. So actually now the CW shows, if you, if you run the numbers, if you include, again, as we often do, if you include Katie Lotz as the lead of Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. We have are the shows. The shows are predominantly female led, and there's the 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 um you know non white to white and non straight to straight ratios are pretty pretty high also. Good, right? Yeah. So it's a pretty you know that's diverse that's lineup. Great. Yeah. So it remains to be seen how they'll work her character in there. And the 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 press release seemed to um, indicate that the name that some people thought might be. Um, just like a placeholder name of yeah. Ryan, I think Ryan Wilder, I think yeah. is what they said, mm-hmm. is actually the final name because it was mentioned in the press release. It was, yeah. So I guess that's the name we're going with. I'm, I'm a little, su- I, mean, I guess if you're going to, I don't know, if you're going to replace the character, then creating your own character is probably a way to go. I mean, they could have easily picked some minor bat character right, and use that name. But yeah. I think they probably, if they're going to do something like this, they want to be able to... Put their own stamp on yeah, it. Yeah, do, do their completely I their approve. own thing. So I approve. So it also it. becomes the first the first Arrowverse show t- to be... Well, I guess you could also... Again, it's funny because um, Sarah Lance is the the, uh, the exception to so many of these rules. But I guess, if you again, if you include her as the lead of Legends of Tomorrow, she's an original creation, creation. also. Yeah. So I guess this is different. But it's the first solo show yeah. to be... To be held, to be led by a, a character which was originally created for this universe and not a character from the comics. Yeah, very so, very true. Yeah, yeah. So it's a first in that way as well. So obviously we'll have to wait and see. You know, it won't be till I guess January that we actually see. Uh, there might be like a teaser or something in the fall once they mm-hmm. actually start shooting. I think I remember. I think I read that uh, Superman and Lois is starting to film in September. Mm-hmm. So I assume that that's when most of the CW shows will kind of start. Yep. Getting started. So maybe. This fall, we'll see some sort of teaser. Yeah. Um, I mean, they could probably shoot some sort of teaser in a socially distanced way before then if they wanted to. If do they it. wanted to. But, you know, yeah. they've released a press shot. I'm not sure they really need to do much more to, to get it out there. Um, so, we had some other news. So, apparently, this was just announced a couple of days ago. Apparently, the, the Matt Reeves directed the Batman movie, you know, that we're getting starring Robert Pattinson and. Yeah. Everybody else. Seems like everybody's in that movie. Colin Farrell, Andy Serkis. I forget who's playing. Um, I don't know anything about this. Who's movie, playing? So somebody awesome is playing. 
Oh, and um, the guy from uh, Westworld is Commissioner Gordon, and I'm, I'm blanking on it, and there's a bunch of other cool people in it, um, is getting a spin-off TV show for HBO Max. Say what? So uh, HBO Max is going to have a um, police procedural. Mm-hmm. Everybody's throwing around Gotham Central, Gotham Central. I mean, they, they were doing the same when Gotham, the TV show, right. was announced, and that ended up being nothing like Gotham Central. Mm-hmm. Gotham Central was like a straight police procedural you know Uh like there were no crazy fantastical elements it wasn't a prequel it didn't have a young bruce wayne in there it was just a police procedural set in the batman universe and that's kind of what they're pitching this to be so it's going to be produced by matt reeves who's directing the movie Mm -hmm. and uh someone who was uh one of the people that was uh in charge of the sopranos show Mm -hmm. and it's going to be set in the universe of the movie Mm -hmm. i'm assuming it's not going to be a prequel i'm assuming it's going to be kind of like gotham central where Mm -hmm. it's just the police in that world and maybe you catch a glimpse of batman every so often Mm -hmm. but it's just like how how do the police in gotham city do their jobs when they've got these super criminals running around and also vigilantes right yeah um so yeah it's cool that there's you know it seems like they're sort of spreading it out a little bit you know Mm -hmm. like Mm this will be it's kind of like what Marvel is doing now, I guess, by having shows set in the same universe as the movies. DC hasn't really done that traditionally, and this will be the first case of that that I can think of. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so that's exciting. No, mm-hmm. obviously, it'll be a while before we get any kind of news on what characters will be in it casting. I mean, if they want to do Gotham Central, you'd imagine you'd have Montoya and Alan and maybe Jim Gordon would be in there. Right. You know, if they can get I mean, that that actor does. Jeffrey Wright, I think his name is. Um, He's done TV work. I mean, he's on Westworld right now, so he would be might be up for reprising his role for some episodes of the TV series. When they did Gotham Central, Commissioner Gordon wasn't a factor. He had retired, mm-hmm. um, and they had Commissioner Akins, I think, was a guy that was in there at the time. Um, but if they want to stay in the continuity of the movies, they probably don't want to fire Jim Gordon because they might need him there for the sequel yeah. to the movie, you know. Um, and then the other news this week, this was announced uh, just a couple of days ago, we have the we know what the next Star Wars animated series is going to be. So Star Wars: The Bad Batch is going to be premiering on Disney Plus That's next year. Awesome! So it's going to follow the Bad Batch as we left them at the end of this last season with of Clone Echo. Wars with Echo in there. And interestingly, it will follow what what it's like for these clones just after the end of the Clone Wars, which is to say, the Republic is now the Empire. Yeah. The clones have executed Order 66. Yeah. Darth Vader and the Emperor are in charge. And what's it like? What What is it like for clone troopers? Now, yeah. are they going to be, are we going to see the cl- these clone troopers try to, like, are they, did, I mean, we don't know what happened to the Bad Batch, right? I mean, they went off and then Order 66 happened. Mm-hmm. Did they execute Order 66? Mm-hmm. Were they Were they such weird experimental clones that they didn't have the chips? Right. Or, or did that somehow allow them to fight against their programming? Um did they will they will they still be working for the empire or will they sort of break will they mm-hmm. sort of strike out on their own and and become like mercenaries or something mm-hmm. like that you know we'll have to see what the all I, sorts of questions we'll have yeah. to see what they do with it but i guess d bradley baker is going to be getting more work because he's going to be voicing every lead in this show i guess <laughs> um but yeah and and uh i think from what i could tell from the press release I don't know. It's unclear to me if Dave Filoni is helming the show. I mean, I'm sure he'll be involved, but I think stuff like The Mandalorian and this rumored Rebels sequel series, this rumored like Ahsoka Tano live action show that might spin off from The Mandalorian, I imagine those things are probably where he's spending most of his attention. But it's not like, you know, Star Wars animation needs him to be directly in charge to be good. And Star Wars Resistance was good, albeit aimed at a much younger audience. Mm -hmm. And so our our issues with it tended to be a a result of that and not, you know, lack of skill on the part of the people involved with the show. I would imagine that this will be as 
mature, if not more so, than the last season of Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Because there, I imagine they're going to, you know, the, the people that grew up watching Clone Wars, the whole idea with these shows is that, you know, they skew a little younger at the beginning. Rebels was the same way. They skew a little younger at the beginning, and then they get mature, more mature as they go along because the kids that are watching them grow up with the show. Mm-hmm. And that being the case, now the people that grew up watching the Clone Wars, and the last season of the Clone Wars was pretty dark, particularly mm-hmm. the last few episodes, are going to be even older when this thing comes on. Mm-hmm. So it might be even more mature. Yeah. You know, it might be even more along the lines of like, I don't know, there's nothing on Disney Plus that's really aimed at adults. So I don't think there's going to be like cursing and, right. and, and, you know, a lot of blood and stuff in there. Like, But it might be more like, you know, Young Justice, mm-hmm. like the DC Universe level of Young Justice, where there was a bit more blood and more, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more overt references to things like sexuality as opposed to being, right. you know, entirely PG. Yeah. More of like a PG-13. I could see them doing that. I don't know. Which mm-hmm. would be a first for Star Wars animation. but Yeah. But not a, not a first for the franchise in general because uh, Revenge of the Sith was PG-13 mm-hmm. because of all the, you know, <laughs> what with the slaughtering of the younglings and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's going to be the next Star Wars TV show. And this does not, of course, preclude all the other stuff I just mentioned, which is still rumored, like the Rebels sequel series with mm-hmm. Sabine and Ezra and Thrawn and all that and the potential other live action stuff they might be doing, like the Ahsoka show and more Mandalorian and stuff. This mm-hmm. is all. This would be in addition to that. But the fact that it's been announced first means that they've probably been working on it for a while. Mm-hmm. It probably didn't leak because if it's some of the same cast carrying over from Clone Wars, you know, there's not going to be anybody says, oh, I saw so-and-so going into the voice booth. It must be like the Bradley Baker, you know, is probably yeah. doing stuff for them all the time between various video games and, and other animated projects. So nobody would have suspected that they were doing some new show. Right. So, yeah. That's exciting. That's exciting. So what was your comic of the week? So this week I picked Harley Quinn number 74. It was a very nice issue. Um to wrap up the storyline where she is tracking down her friend's killer um, and she finally cracked the case and discovered that it was Granny Goodness um, or one of her henchmen doing her bidding. And um, so she goes and goes through a lot of people to uh, reach the point where Granny Goodness has been hiding out, discovers that there's a little tiny, uh, what is it, a fire pit that Granny Goodness is trying to nurture so that she can give this world to Darkseid. And um, that this was all just part of the machinations to move move obstacles out of her way. And at the same time as kicking all of this amazing butt, she's also connecting with the fact that... Uh, Granny Goodness is acting this way because she herself has experienced loss. And so we see a little snippet of a backstory where Granny Goodness had uh, her favorite dog um, and Darkseid ordered her to kill the dog, even though they've been training together and living together for a long time and it's a faithful companion instead. And so instead, just as a mind, mental mind, you know, manipulation uh dark side orders the dog who to kill granny goodness and so she had to defend herself and and execute the dog um which is a bummer and it stayed with her for years and years and years and is making her you know that loss just doesn't didn't left its mark on her and for harley to have recognized that having experienced her own loss and having encountered other people with their loss um, she actually reaches Granny Goodness, but then she kicks her butt anyway, which is classic Harley. Um, and then also at the end, she decides to give it a try with Booster Gold. So I thought that was interesting. We've never seen that matchup in comics before either. So that'll be a fun fun journey to go on because he had a little bit of a crush on her. And we see her saying, you know what, maybe it's worth a try. And 
So, I mean, it, there was a lot of heart in this issue. There was a lot of resolution and it was very interesting to see Granny Goodness open up and become a little bit vulnerable about her own pain. Um, and so I really, I really enjoyed this issue. And so that's why I picked it for my comic of the week. Very good. What did you pick? I picked Deceased Dead Planet number one. Ooh. This was a, a really good first issue, follow up to Deceased, the sequel. You know, five years yeah. later, um, they've settled on, the survivors have settled on Earth, what they're calling Earth 2. Yeah. Uh, Lois Lane is the president. John is Superman now. Damien's Batman now. Cassie is Wonder Woman now. Um, they receive a SOS from Earth mm-hmm. from Cyborg's head. Mm-hmm. And uh, they decide to go back there and, and rescue him, but things go wrong immediately when zombie Wonder Woman attacks, and mm-hmm. there's immediately deaths and injuries. And you know now they've got now they've got problems because they can't just leave. They've got to get help for the injured, and they've got to you know yep. fight off the zombies. And and there's a sequence at the beginning with with Constantine. So we're going to get. I imagine we're going to see not just you know the characters that are coming back from Earth too, but also the people that we know stay behind. Yeah, like. Um, like um, Constantine and like Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn and the survivors of the um, Unkillables miniseries like Red Hood and Cassandra Cain yep. uh, that made it to Poison Ivy's garden, yeah. right? Yeah. Ravager survived too, I think. Yep. Um, so uh, this is going to bring all those characters back together and, and uh, yeah. Have some revolution. You're yeah. forgetting one very important twist at the end. Um, Cyborg is incapacitated as he is, but he still communicates the fact that there seems to be a cure. Right, for this. which we knew from the end of the first miniseries, but our characters didn't know that. He was the only one that knew it. Do you remember that from the ending of the last? I did not. Well, that was the whole thing that that um, that he discovered after after the ships had already left. Yeah. Um, he discovered it. I think that I think that this had something to do with the lasso of truth. Like he managed to use Wonder Woman's lasso of truth or something, and she yeah. was able to tell him. That there was a cure, but it was too late. The ships had already left, and Earth had already been, you know, given up for dead, basically. Yeah, yeah. And he had no way of. It took him five years to mm-hmm. devise a way using his limited means, being just a severed head, to send out this SOS. No, it took him five years to even discover a subroutine that Batman put in there that enabled him to right. send out his SOS. But he's he not. Was S- he's not calling S-O-L, for. An, he's, not, he he's not calling for SOS like, oh, come rescue me, right. endanger your own lives for me. He's calling for an SOS because he knows that Earth can be saved. All these, all of their friends can be turned back, and Earth can be reclaimed. All the surviving in friends can be. Yeah. 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 Well, most of their friends are very few of them are dead, dead because it's very hard to kill these people. Like you know, Superman is is in the sun eating the sun. Right. Wonder Woman's still there. I guess Flash is dead because Flash died. Superman he basically exploded Dis- into Superman, which is what which is what him, infected yeah. Superman. But I think uh, did Green Arrow take out Aquaman or did he just uh, that he that he didn't let anybody no, hear he, the end of it for five years or did he just incapacitate incapacitate him temporarily? No, he took him out. It was an arrow to the head. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's a kill shot. Well, even if it doesn't kill the anti-life zombie Aquaman, one would think it would preclude him turning back into a healthy, yeah, alive that's, human. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. so, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, really, it was really good. Black Adam with a scratch on his face is going to be fine, but Aquaman with an arrow in his brain is not going to. Right. Be. It would have to also have some sort of healing effect, though, because in most of these cases, like, they're missing a lot of flesh and yeah. stuff. Like, a yeah. regular human wouldn't survive being instantly turned back to normal and having right. these injuries. Borderline Wonder Woman might, but yeah. yeah. So we'll have to see. But yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. So for our activity this week, so we we finished uh, Mobile Fighter G Gundam uh, a couple of weeks ago, yes. and I, but we but we haven't really had a chance to talk about it on the show in Gundam Corner. So I thought I'd I'd integrate Gundam Corner into our activity, and we would rank the Gundam fighters. You're the best. So I've got eight eight <laughs> Gundam I've got eight Gundam fighters. 
So I'm going to have to resist the urge to pronounce <laughs> to pronounce these like they did on the show, and I'm going to try to pronounce them with a flat, you know, in, you know, the English, English speaking accent, okay. as opposed to domonkashu. <laughs> I'm going to try to avoid the the urge to do that. So I've got eight here. We've got domonkashu, Chibade Crockett. George DeSand, Argo Gulski, Sai Saishi, Schwartz Bruder, Master, I almost did it, Master Asia, yeah. Master Asia, and Alan B. Beardsley. Mm-hmm. So do you want to do you want to rank them first or should I? Again, you don't have to rank all eight if you don't want to. You can just pick like go your top it. three. You, you, you've given this some thought. I've you given go this first no this thought, thing. though. That's the problem. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like Domon okay, but he really felt like a, a stereotypical martial arts cartoon protagonist to me, like with all the same strengths and weaknesses that these characters often have yeah. oh like he's really strong in martial arts but he doesn't understand the ways of the heart you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah, and yeah. he needs to learn to open up to his friends and trust others and and so i like it is a very very sort of cliched show in now in those sense it's still very enjoyable to watch but i feel like having a deep it's more like who do you find the most entertaining yeah. i suppose because mm-hmm. now the characters are terribly deep um but i'm not sure he would be up there i think i don't know i think um schwartz Bruder was an had the potential to be like a really cool sort of masked mystery man but because we sort of instantly figured out who he was yeah there was still, i figured it out a lot sooner than you did there was still a revelation <laughs> at the end about his true nature right but that was more like a technicality i suppose right um yeah. so yeah i don't know maybe chibiday would be my top one oh, just because he's fun. sort of the most fun to watch and he had like an interesting backstory yeah um then maybe and then maybe George, because again he had like he was like yeah a, same thing a, a good character. Mm-hmm. Um, Sai Saishi, then maybe then Domon Argo. I had an interesting backstory, but he was just sort of like a big lump. Didn't really have like a lot of personality to him. I, I he was enjoyed, a strong lump. Yeah, I enjoyed his like he had an arc and you know right. interesting things about him. But yeah. um, although Master Master Asia was interesting too, he maybe was. I'd put him up. So maybe like Chibide, George, Master Asia. Uh, Domon, Sai Saishi, Argo, Schwarzbruder would, would maybe be, I don't know, maybe put him ahead of Argo and Sai Saishi. And then Allenby at the bottom. I think Allenby as a, as a character had, maybe that's not fair. Maybe put Allenby above like Argo. Maybe mm-hmm. Argo would be at the bottom. Allenby had a lot of potential as a character, but I, and they did some interesting things with her, but a lot of it had to do with like her being controlled and stuff. Yeah. Um, it was it was an, it was a fun idea to introduce like a strong female character, mm-hmm. although they waited till the show was like seventy five percent over before they did. I mean, Rain was a strong character too, but she was very much like playing second fiddle to Doma. Was Alan B was someone who could you know fight him head to head, right? Um, and then they sort of took her out of the story for a while because she was controlled and incapacitated. Yeah. But then she had some. She had a lot of strong moments. Like she came back at the end and she led all the you know the Gundam Alliance basically mm-hmm. to to save the day. Um, yeah, and she had a sail, basically a Sailor Moon Gundam. She really was, did, <laughs> which was which fun. was so great. Yes, um, I actually I, I would rank her higher. We could also rank that. We should also do maybe we can do this next week. We should also rank the Gundams from this show. Ooh, that's a good one. Because some some we'll characters, do that next week. We'll do that next the, week. Some of the oh, wait, most the awesome Gundams didn't even yeah. Some of the most awesome Gundams didn't even necessarily belong to main characters. You know. Right. Anyway, so all right, so you go ahead. Okay, so here's mine. I'm gonna throw you for a loop. My favorite was Sai Sai G. Because top mm-hmm. to bottom, he was included. He was he had a very nice arc. I love the way he was introduced. You sort of know there's something about that kid. He's very lackadaisical, like, ah, it'll all work out, bro. He calls him bro from the very first moment. He sort of plays some tricks on him. He gets to where he needs to be. He has his own agenda. He's, he's smart. He's funny. He's strong. He's a kid. 
Um, and during the course of the um, show, he discovers things that kind of help him grow up the rest of the way. He has his own adventures. I really like Sai Saichi. I think he's wonderful. I like him. I'm just, I'm not normally the biggest fan of the trope of like the, oh, the wise cracking somewhat, like a little lecherous. Like he's trying, I was trying, like he's trying to get with the women sometimes not all of them what are you talking about he doesn't hit on everything that has a skirt that's not fair uh, but the, like the 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 kid sort of the impish kid trickster character you know what i mean like he the, had like two crushes the entire show well, like, well, that's, put, well, that that's is, not fair that, that aside the sort of wisecracking impish mischievous kid character i like is sort of a, a trope in but anime you it's know, never really I, been my, but my he favorite. has his own talents to offer like he really enjoys cooking and he's the, doing that but then he he takes up his father's mantle when he finds out how much it would mean to him to res to um was not resurrect um what is it reopen or start up again the the um uh, the dojo that right, his the Shaolin temple right the Shaolin temple like I was never hundred percent clear on why that was so hard couldn't he just like raise some money somehow well, like why it, does he need governmental was, approval I to... don't know I mean I don't know that's that's not I don't know it's the story reason because stories I don't know but um but that was that was important to him and so he's picked up that and made his, his uh, forefront mission and I think that was pretty uh epic and i i don't know i just enjoyed him so he's my number one actually i like um i like domon very much but like you said there were many times when he had to learn the lessons the same thing so i'm actually not going to put him at number two i like schwarz bruder for number two and then domon for number three because he learns the lessons eventually and he is interesting to watch i love chibode and george so i'm going to tie them for you know four i really love um master aja i think he's great hmm i think i'll put them above jibo he was probably the I, he was probably the most three-dimensional character on the show yeah Even though a so lot i'm gonna of put the time, him up he higher. was like a stereotypical villain he actually had he i mean for for in terms of gundam as a franchise yeah. like like comparing him to a lot of the universal century shows he's still a pretty pretty two-dimensional character in terms especially in terms of the villains like he's no He's no Shar or right. you know, Haman or something like that. But he's he's deeper than a lot of the protagonist characters because he's got more than just like, oh, I want to win for my for the because of the power of friendship, you know, like he's right. got a little bit more going so on. So here's my ranking. Ready? I'm gonna break it down for you super fast. My first my top, like I said, Sai Sai Chi, then Schwarz Bruder, then Master Aja, then Domon Kashu, then Alan B. Because I think it her arc is interesting and I like her character very much. She's solid. Um, and I wish they didn't do the whole kidnapping mind control thing for her character because I'm so tired of this. Oh, sorry. I don't want to go on a rant, but I really don't like the way that a lot of women get treated in these franchises. It's not fair. But aside from that, I really love Alan B. And I like her character very much. And I love that she was a very grounded and steady and independent person as well as an incredibly competent fighter and also a supportive friend and i love the way that 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 part of her character was handled so she's my number four after that and then you've got chibure george and argo in that order very so, good there you go that's my ranking very good so should we move on to our shows yes i'm ready so we've got agents of shield star girl and doom patrol yes so agents of shield this was another fun one the totally excellent adventures of mac and the d <laughs> this was their 80s pastiche episode. Hilarious. Where by the we way. get um, send ups of everything from like <laughs> rock and roll music videos like MTV to yeah. slasher movies yep. to like Short Circuit, 
to I don't even know what short circuit short is. Short circuit, the 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 Steve Gutenberg comedy with the the jive talking robot. Johnny Five, Johnny Five is alive. I uh, know. No? You never I, saw Short Circuit? No, never. Probably not a very good movie, but everybody in the eighties saw Short Circuit. That's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then like the, the, the I mean, there was a there was a a Predator reference in there, like the clasping yes. hands yeah, thing. That was, that was more than just Predator. I saw that a lot, but yeah, it, that right. Was there, very there's got to be a there's got to be a somewhat like I'm trying to think of how to phrase this diplomatically. Is butch is butch a term that we're allowed to use anymore? Probably not. Like a, not. a Russian, a female Russian soldier, yeah, who's who's like very masculine. You know what I mean? Like there's also a thing you got a lot in the '80s movies, right? Oh. It's like oh, it's it's a it's a female Russian villain, but unless she's like the love interest, like the in James Bond movies where he would you know woo right. the female Russians. Yeah, it's like oh, either you're you're a potential romantic interest or you're like a incredibly masculine, right? Oh, okay, like the, yeah, yeah. Um, well, they, di- they didn't do that very often. I wouldn't say that that was a, uh, a trope. In the 80s? Oh, yeah. Did yeah, they yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of, you, maybe you haven't seen as many bad 80s action movies I just movies thought it I was have. funny as they... Usually Olga is their name. Yeah. And they're like... They named like, her the, Olga. The hero they tries to punch them that. and they don't even move. move. They've got like a really short crew cut blonde yeah. hair. They and use they explosives competently. Face. I yeah. thought that that was funny, yeah. Yeah, but it was fun. I mean, I felt like it was a little bit... I felt like we don't need to get into a whole discussion about it necessarily, but I felt like it was a little disrespectful. Disrespectful might not be the word I'm looking for. A little uh, diminishing of Max's character uh-huh. to have him be. Oh what, yes, we, we talked about this. Like off even Mike, Deke, yeah. who was like the least responsible character on the show, was aware that there was this threat that they were continuing threat. One could say that yeah, Mac wasn't aware that there was this continuing threat, but if he'd cared to engage. With mm-hmm. the situation, he would have, oh, well, the base is here. Coulson is still there in some form. And they could have told him this threat is still out there, right? Yeah. Deke tried to keep telling him and he wouldn't listen. Yeah. He was wallowing in self-pity for months and months while this threat was ramping up and people died. Yeah. That maybe wouldn't have had to have died if he had taken charge sooner. Right. So it is, I mean, he doesn't have to be perfect. It, yeah. it was The episode was clearly intending to say, yeah, he screwed up. Right? Yeah. I just, I feel like for someone who is as mature and in, in control and is like pushing 50 is this episode, you know, if you do the basic math, pushing 50, that, yeah, it sucks when you people you love die, yeah. but everybody in the show has lost people they love. How many times have people in, in Marvel movies or TV shows or any DC stuff lost people they love? And you get, you know, usually you get like a scene or a few scenes. It's unrealistic. Yeah, something like this in the real world yeah. could destroy a person. But in these shows, we're used to like, these characters getting over it a little, a, a little, little bit faster. more, like in terms of like and the dramatic pacing. Take, yeah. And so I felt like this episode, by showing it so, it was taking so long to get over it. He was growing like the crazy beard and everything. Yeah. And Deke, in contrast, was getting everything together. I felt like it really cast him in an unflattering light, which is clearly what they were going for. But to me, it it felt like a a little too unflattering, given how much he was really like other than Coulson is really like the rock of the show you know like that's yeah. why he was made the director after Coulson is because he was like the most steady reliable guy who always thinks things through and yeah. is always responsible and so and, well, it didn't work for you but it did very much work for me because like even rocks crack you know under pressure and I thought that that was a very plausible way to believe that he in one day he thought he saved his parents and his own time continuity but then it, it's a mental it's a mind f you know because it's it's how how 
what does it do to your memories what does it do to your past now you're living in an alternate timeline but you don't exist that way and you miss all the things that came before and since um and not only that but like having to grab your own mother or somebody that looks like your mother and toss her out of an airplane while she's pleading with you not to and yes it was a mind trick obviously by the um by the the chromicons that had taken over her body already but it's still a horrifying experience like a horrifying experience and so watching him go through his mourning period is something that I actually appreciated and I liked that he had this character flaw and yet it's not even a flaw it's just mourning it's you're allowed to grieve and you're allowed to process and yeah he chose to do it by himself and not let Deke in but then he was stuck out of time and um, even Yo-Yo was saying that he shouldn't have had to go through this alone and I bet she if she had been around would have been able to get through to him but Deke was not that person he tried he was there and his support meant something but he wasn't the right person to actually reach him in that morning period so he shut everybody out and I thought that was very cool it was very cool to watch um, because it felt real to me whereas it didn't feel real to you and that's that's okay too because you know art is art is that way it speaks different things to different people and that's cool but yeah it very much worked for me it didn't work for you but i really enjoyed the episode anyhow and uh i can't wait to the next one Mm -hmm. yeah for all the reasons you said so star girl this week was called brainwaves this is very much this one is mostly about brainwave and his son Mm -hmm. we get a little bit of stuff with you know Courtney and her family and Pat and you know Courtney's mother discovers them with the cosmic rod in the yeah. basement at the end there so that's so that's obviously going to have a fallout in the next episode there's a little bit with Rick and Yolanda and Beth in there but mostly it's about brainwave and how he got his powers and how they changed him and then his son finding his father's self-recorded tapes and learning about all that and you know very I don't know like you could watch this episode and right up until the end where he kills that guy you could I was I really am wasn't sure which way they're going to go with this character. I'm still not 100% sure mm-hmm. because this very much him killing that lawyer at the end and then his father waking up to see him having done it could very much be a like oh the dies like an Anakin Skywalker yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Like he's not a bad person right. but he's gone one step too far and now he thinks he's irredeemable. Uh, here's a question that I had for you. Was that him triggering the the epilepsy just like his or or the seizure or whatever it is that killed him uh, the lawyer? Or was that brainwave waking up and taking the initiative himself? I suppose it could be. That's I was under saying. the impression that it was his son doing yeah. it, and the sheer, I think he was under the, the sheer power too. of like the mental emanations from mm-hmm. the son were enough to wake up the father. Yeah, I think that's what we were supposed to read because otherwise, his father that would be an incredibly convenient time for his father. No, because he up. might have had the emanation, but the emanation may not have triggered it. The emanation may have triggered the father waking up and then taking a quick read Maybe. of the situation. I think it would be more control. I think that would be a little too easy. I think it's more dramatically interesting if he actually did kill someone and he has to decide now and the other where to go to, from there. Know, yeah. Can they you know, can they still will I still reach out to him or is he too far gone now? Can he forgive himself? Does he even think that he needs to be forgiven or right. if what he did is you yep. know, mm-hmm. it's easy to it's easy to roll your eyes at, at a character when they're like, oh, everyone is bad. Like people, the people who my father killed, they mm-hmm. deserve to die. And everyone is a monster. It's easy to roll your eyes and be like, OK, kid, you know, what I mean, this is very much like a 16 year old. I like that they attitude, had multiple. But... Disco- yes, very true, because they do see the world in black and white at that age. They really do. They're trying to find answers and they're trying to get get to the point already. And they it's it's hard for a teenager to accept the shades of gray and so if he snaps to one thing and that that and then you know changes his mind and snaps to the other way it's like a rubber band going back and forth whereas the truth is in the middle 
I think what they did though that was good is that I you get the sense that he he said that to Courtney. Yeah. But he probably doesn't even really believe, believe it. it. Yeah. Like they had yeah. a scene with him with Yolanda later where she comes in, she threatens him, and, and she, he seems like if given half a chance, he was going to try to apologize to her. It looks like that was the next thing out of his mouth. And not only that, but he took Courtney's advice from the previous conversation because she said, if uh, he said his thesis was, if you look inside people's minds, they have horrible, horrible things. And she says, have you tried to dig a little deeper? Because there's a there's a reason for that. People think horrible things. They're allowed to think horrible things when faced with certain things. If you judge them based on that, you're not getting at the core of the matter. If you look inside deeper, you'll see a better, you'll see more information. And so he did. And in that one little split second, it went from, I'm going to tear you to shreds through Yolanda. It went to the place of, I loved you. You betrayed me. I, I, you, you stabbed me in the back. Like I'm hurting it went to that place and that was important information and that's what made him almost apologize to her if it weren't for the how the scene wrapped up um and that is him taking courtney's advice under advisement because he dug he dug deeper in that moment that's great you know so now we don't know where he is like he does have one foot he has the potential to go either way here and it's incredibly well written because it's so true i think it would be smart <laughs> Again, like knowing how Jeff Johns likes to structure these things, to have one of the kids of the villains be one of the heroes, because I think that's yeah. very much the the ethos that he likes to have with his Justice Society stories, which is, you know, yeah. it, you don't have to be blood to one of the heroes. In fact, you can be you can be related to one of the villains, yeah. but if you if you want to be part of this heroic legacy, yeah. then there's a place for you there in the Justice Society. That's what that that's what they're all about. Right. So I think that that's I think it would be smart to have and you know, you would look at maybe Cameron as being the one that might do that. Yeah. Um if they I'm trying to remember if they ever hinted that he had powers yet or not. I can't remember. Was there like a scene where he had frost breath or something? Um, I don't he, remember. I think when he blew out the candle he did it with a frosty air breath. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, Remember the diner scene with him and his father celebrating the thing and the waitress brings over a cake and he blew out the candle and there was frosty breath. Um, But but Brainwave Jr. did was a hero in the comics, Mm -hmm. although he sort of vacillated at times, but he is a hero in the comics. So um, it would be in keeping for them to for them to do that. But they could easily swerve also and make it somebody else. And not only that, but like Icicle Jr., like we don't know what that story is because right now he looks like a good kid, but he could easily, easily, easily be, you know, have have one of those dramatic story folds where he's like, oh man, she's Stargirl, how could she, blah. And then the calm father sort of, you know, brainwashes him the rest of the way and now he's a bad guy. Mm -hmm. I could see that happening. So we could absolutely see somebody who we think is on the path to bad become good and then see somebody who we think is on the path to good become bad um that's i'm that's (laughs) we'll see (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it could happen either way so doom patrol this week um these were fun so we we got a pretty dramatic scene at the end of the last episode where a baby doll uh pushes dorothy a little too far and Dorothy yes. uses uh, calls upon the candle maker, and she, she murders a, a couple murders a couple of Jane's personalities, including Baby Doll. Yeah, because Baby Doll um, has telekinetic powers. Well, yeah, and apparently she, she, she destroyed the um, like big the t- tusky bear monster, the immortal that avatar belonged to Dorothy's mother. Yeah, yeah. So that's I don't know what's going to happen there. Like 
so Dorothy, because the underground isn't a real place. So Dorothy was not only able to summon this creature, but also send it, I guess, inside Jane's mind. Yes. Uh-huh. Because you forget when you're watching. I'm like, uh-oh, here comes the thing. You're like, wait a minute. This isn't a real place. I know. Like, <laughs> but that's why it's so threatening. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because she said she probably made a wish to kill just baby doll. She didn't want to kill Jane. She didn't want to kill yeah, any of the other 64 that's... personalities. She specifically wanted revenge on baby doll. And so that's when the... And not only that, but you didn't notice how baby doll killed her. She turned into the sun creature and she fried... Who, uh, who fried the, the monster. So both of the people that were responsible for the death baby doll because she telekinetically pushed her to that limit and then the sun eater the sun creature that um came out over baby doll for like a split second did the actual murdering and then gave it back to baby doll like those were the two that died in the underground and that's no joke so huh yeah Yeah. and the stuff with um with larry is interesting so his his son turns out to be a bit of a (laughs) A bit of a douchebag yeah. calling the government spooks to come in and round up Larry because he, he blames Larry for everything bad that's happened to their family, which is somewhat justified, but still kind of a dick move. A huge, big problem. Like, why can't you just talk out your advice? And I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just talk, not talk out your advice, but talk out your issues. It's... Uh, it's so irritating. And not only that, but like we talked about this offline, but I'll mention it again here. When Larry apologizes for the bullet that went into his grandson, you know, his son's adult son. And um, in the same moment where Rita actually turned bulletproof, was able to control her powers enough to turn bulletproof and protect the little kid from getting shot in the face um, by the government people. Like, it wasn't Larry that pulled the trigger. It was the government people that you called there. And I just feel like that needs to be shouted at Paul's face. Because, like, what did you think was going to happen when you brought... Yeah, but Larry, you know, he's very self-loathing. And also, if he hadn't chosen to enter these people's lives again, none of this would have happened. That's true. He was invited. Okay. No, but he he chose to go to the funeral. He chose to re-engage with the family again for the first time in decades. And it it ended up having this chain of events that that he didn't start in motion necessarily. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't, wasn't the one that called the guys with the guns to come to the farm. But if he had, if he had stayed cooped up there in the, in the mansion, then none of this would have happened, which is true. But, you know, it's not necessarily his fault. He didn't really do anything wrong this time. He did a lot of stuff wrong in the past. Yeah. Um, but he didn't do anything wrong this time. But, you know, he made mistakes back then by pushing everybody away and, and spending decades not reconnecting with them. And it bore some, some, bitter, some bitter fruit. Yeah. So. I know. I can understand it. It's just, it's irritating because, like, somebody needs to tell him to, I mean, Paul, his son, to take a closer look at what his, his own actions have brought. It's kind of interesting. It just occurred to me, maybe it was obvious to you, but the first season, it was kind of like the team. It was very insular, like they were trying to save the chief and having these wacky adventures. Yeah. Um, but this season is very much about all the characters trying to, not so much Dorothy, although to a certain extent, but it's mostly about the characters trying to reconnect with the outside world. Hmm. Cliff is trying to get to know his daughter again. Rita is trying to get back into acting and also yeah. learn how to control her power so she can go out there and help people. Mm-hmm. Vic is finding a new romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Larry is re-engaging with his family. Yeah. Chief is still kind of in it up in his own thing. But mm-hmm. even Dorothy is spending her first... She's not out in the world necessarily, but she's among people, people again for the first time in decades. Yeah. So if season one was about, you know, saving the chief, this season is kind of about, okay, now the world is safe and the chief is safe. 
what do we what do we do now? And they're taking the lessons they learned in the first season. Mm-hmm. Jane doesn't really seem like she's she's still sort of she's very much processing. dealing with her own internal yeah. stuff, literally. Yeah. Um, not really seeming to be too interested in reengaging with the outside world. But for most of the other characters, it's true, at least. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just just an observation that seems to be sort of the theme of the season is the the benefits and also the costs of of spending so long away from people that yeah. care about you, and then then trying to then just appearing back in their lives one day, and sometimes right. it can work out, and other times it has tragic consequences. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it yeah. continues to be a good show. It is. It is a very good show. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so if you want to reach out. Oh, hey, special announcement we'll do. Next week is our award show. Um, So that's why the week after we'll table the activity for the ranking of the Gundams. That'll be the week after. Next week is going to be our Megasode where we have an annual DC award show. So we're going to do best comic of the year and best artist of the year and all the best writing of the year and all those things. Uh, We have that annual tradition and that's coming up for next week's show. So tune in for that. And if you want to reach out to the show, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... Ooh, what was that? Rita. Ooh. <laughs>